Hello and welcome to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, where I, Michelle Carville, interview business leaders around the practicalities of how, in this hyper-connected digital age, they are embracing digital technologies to tune in and connect and communicate. You can find all episodes of the podcast together with show notes via our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. In this episode of the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, I'm delighted to interview Brian Solis. Brian is a leading digital anthropologist, futurist and best-selling author who studies the impact of disruptive technologies on business, society and culture. In his new book, Lifescale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive and Happy Life, Brian tackles the struggles of living in a world rife with constant digital distractions. His model for life scaling helps readers overcome the unforeseen consequences of living a digital life to break away from diversions, focus on what's important, spark newfound creativity and unlock new possibilities. With a loyal online audience of over 700,000 people, his work makes him a sought-after thought leader to leading brands, celebrities such as Oprah and Ashton Kutcher and over 1,000 startups around the world. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. So, I have been following you for a long time, and and I've read most of your books. Uh, I haven't yet read Life Scale, but it's 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 coming through the wonders of Amazon, and of course. <laughs> A lot of your work and a lot of the work, you know, I, I used to use some of your comments in, in um, quotes and things in presentations I was giving about adapt or die and around digital disruption and that organizations really had to make a change and, and really how technology has been challenging behavior and creating opportunities. And, and so it was interesting when I came across what you're doing with um, LifeScale. I know as an author myself, a lot of the books I've written over the years, I say a lot, you know, three, I'm, I'm writing my fourth, I'm always solving a problem. Uh, I always feel like it's one to many, rather than solve this time and time again, I, I acknowledge a problem and I try and solve it uh, through, through writing the book. So tell me, how you've got to life scale from from digital disruption through to digital distraction? It wasn't by choice, if I could be honest with you. Uh, I think as someone who has written and studied digital Darwinism over the last, you know, couple decades, uh, the you know, and also the irony of helping launch a lot of the devices and networks and apps that we we all use, and advising many of these startups over the over the years, it it was the last thing that I thought would happen in my world, which was to become sort of a victim of that distraction. Uh, I've studied it. I've informed people how to stay above it and how to best utilize technology in ways that were going to be more most productive for business or, or personal life. And then there I was trying to write my, my eighth book <laughs> about the very topic we're, we're talking about now. And I just couldn't get past the proposal stage. And it was, it was a really debilitating experience. And long story short, I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of soul searching because at first I chalk it up to, you know, just being overwhelmed or maybe having writer's block. 
but then in that soul searching process, I, I had started to see patterns that were across the board in terms of my research, my writing, uh, everything, my relationships, everything was just all over the place in real time. And that, that ability for critical thinking, that ability to dive deep, that, that ability to stoke creativity had, I don't want to say vanished, but it wasn't the same. My, my, uh, my brain wasn't firing the way that it used to. And that's what I realized that something was wrong and had to, <laughs> it still didn't, still didn't lead to life scale, but it did lead to a new focus in research to figure out what was happening in my life to try to figure out how to fix it. And, and that's interesting because, uh, you know, I'm writing a book at the moment and I put sometimes some of my, oh, I'm just going to scroll, I'm just going to take a break and have a look at what's going on on, you know, social media, down to procrastination. But actually, I've, I've had to get really disciplined with myself and say, just turn the phone off, turn every distraction off and, and really get, get focused on writing or doing one thing for a long time, which used to just be the norm. And, and we really have changed our behaviors. Is that, is that what you found as you've been exploring and researching this? Oh my goodness. We all, we all do reach for our devices. Uh, I'll just say probably too frequently, but it's just normal. It's just the new normal, which is why I didn't think I had a problem. Uh, and, and probably also why most people don't think that they have a problem because it's just how, how we live life. But the reality is, is that most of us get about 200 notifications a day. And when we reach for that device, when we allow ourselves or we give ourselves to those notifications, they pull us out of a headspace and, 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 and also just this, this physical space and this mental space and this emotional space we're in so that we can deal with that. And then we come back to the task at hand and we're not fully in the place where we were when we left it. Mm -hmm. And then the same is true for the attention that you give to all of those notifications or all of those distractions. We're getting sort of a sliver, a semblance of you. Now, that leads to and sort of grooms us into this behavior of constantly moving and constantly doing all of these things at the same time. And why that is dangerous is because we're not giving our best to everything, but also because what's happening behind the scenes is that it's rewiring our brain, excuse me, and rewiring our bodies to accelerate, to keep up with all of that, which is why we do it more because we're getting good at jumping around, but we're not really multitasking. We're just switching tasks. And that's where things get super interesting is that when you rewire your brain and your body to do these things, it seems normal. We convince ourselves that this is what life is all about. And we're convincing ourselves also that we're giving our best in those moments when we're actually not. So when we're all like this, it becomes a real big societal issue. And if you just think about it, you know, if you've ever asked someone how you're doing or how they're doing, the common answer we get is busy because we're all busy. Because that's what our relationship with technology is teaching us. It's teaching us how to just live constantly busy, task switching, running around, sharing our lives, consuming the lives of others. And that's where it starts to hurt us. Yeah. And I suppose it's about, because I suppose some of the work that I've been doing, um, particularly in the 
more recent years is around how social technologies can really help organizations connect. So to break down silos, to really help leaders connect with often very disengaged employees. And there's a huge cost to that disengagement around productivity because people don't feel that they really know what's going on. So from a communication perspective, these, se- these social technologies can be really useful in breaking down silos, connecting people. Um, but that's, I suppose, in a, in a, in a rich way or, or, or an enriched way. What we're talking about here is that that kind of inability to balance it. Is, is that what you found, that we're becoming all one way rather than this balanced approach? Yes, yes and no. The, the hard part was that I'd never realized I, that any of this was a problem until it was a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people in, well, especially in my research, they, they feel like this constant anxiety. There's a lot of struggles with happiness. There's, there's this semblance of creativity or this, this fallacy of it, I should say, in that you know, every tool and every device that we have makes us express things in the most beautiful and creative ways possible with filters and high-res cameras and all of the networks that you know, show that we're living our best life. So the real danger of it is not knowing the struggles that we actually have. Productivity is a, is a metric of, of an effect, but not the problem. Right. I think what's happening deep down within us is it's, it's uh, unfortunately not like any or not unlike any substance abuse that's that's out there. Right? What's what's happening is your 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 body is having these chemical reactions to these moments, and we've talked about things like dopamine or oxytocin. There's six different you know chemical concoctions that happen, mm-hmm. and those those are designed. Uh, with intent by the developers to stoke that, to, to, to make you feel and make you do something to help you. So it's why they become so addictive because attention is what they have. It's a commodity. And the more of your attention they have, the more that they could monetize it. But what I don't know that they realize, it's called persuasive design, right? And it's meant to, it's meant to manipulate behavior. And I don't know what, if they realize though, what they were actually doing in the long term, but it's, if you're if you're if you're drinking if you're if you're if you're taking your favorite drug of choice whatever it is your body is having also a chemical reaction to that and the more that our bodies become dependent on that chemical reaction the more we want to have it and so it's productivity is one one measure of the problem the other measure of the problem are things like anxiety stress depression uh n- self-esteem uh, one of the things that I studied sort of in concert with, with this research was the effects of Instagram and Snapchat on a woman's definition of beauty and self-esteem. And you know, after interviewing women from 61 to 6 after a year, it was incredibly disheartening uh, to hear the struggles that they didn't even know that they were dealing with. Uh, every every interview was was pretty similar in that the conversation started 
with asking some questions. And of course, we got these very funny or, or normal quips in return. But after a while, there was always a click that happened. Like, he's asking me these questions for a reason. It's now that I think about it, they all turned from research sessions into therapy sessions that we're living life so quickly and we're keeping up with all of this stuff so, so fast, so much every single day trying to keep up that we don't even actually realize how far we've fallen. Yeah, and I suppose the context is slightly different because there are tools that we would ordinarily use, shall we say, in the business environment that stay in the business environment. That's kind of our work tools and they're over there. And then when we have our leisure time, we switch off. We're not using those tools. That we're, we're, in, a, we're in a different space. And, and, and traditionally, it's always kind of been that way, whereas these tools, these social technologies are tools that we initially adopted outside of the workplace and we've moved them into the workplace. You know, they, they're almost secondary uh, being adopted in the workplace. So now it's just pervading everything that we do, all of our lives. Um, you know, there is, no, there is no kind of, well, that's what I do at work and now I'm, a, now I'm out of that so I can switch off. It's, it's kind of like we're always on with them, aren't we? <laughs> and you know we have we have challenge we have one on one side you know as as employers you know the devastating effects of those distractions on our work not just productivity but also the caliber and the quality of that work right we're prone to more more mistakes we're not as creative as we could be uh, at the same time you're bringing that that emotional sort of tug of war into the workplace as well, where we're not feeling as happy uh, as we could, and that starts to affect morale. Uh, add to it then, you know, companies trying to modernize the workplace, and we're creating these much more open spaces, which are also much more prone to analog distractions, uh, and also things like Slack or Microsoft Teams, which are essentially streams for work, which you bring bring out the same type of behaviors that you would in, in your personal lives. And so we're, we're creating actual greater distractions in, in the modernization of the workplace. Now, the reason why I care about this so much is, one, I had to fix, I had to fix myself. I mean, you know, this stuff over years, and we're talking about, you know, Gosh, I mean, Facebook opened up to the public in 2006. Twitter launched in 2006. I mean, the iPhone, you know, is, is over a decade old. I mean, we're talking about a decade of behavioral transformation uh, and emotional transformation without actually, number one, acknowledging that this is happening to us so that we could do something about it. And number two, not even understanding how much we've changed uh, and sort of that, that, struggle every single day to sort of find that happiness and find that productivity, find that center, find that core. Where where I I felt like I could have an effect on this was I pressed pause on the other book that I was trying to write and pressed pause on a lot of my work so that I could get to the heart of the matter and sort of reverse engineer exactly how we were being manipulated, how how these design techniques were changing us, how we were sort of succumbing to them and how we were making decisions differently about our lives, about what we share and what we consume and how we live based on those modifications. Then understanding what do those modifications do to us, our brains, our body, our spirit, and then make 
make the decision once you know what you know, then what do you do about it? Because mm-hmm. I still had to fix my life. Uh, and the effects of which I had damaged my world, including my, my real world relationships, uh, were mind-blowing that I had completely missed this stuff over the last 10 years. Uh, and it's, it's pretty, it's, you know, in hindsight, you know, it's, it's a small miracle that everything was still sort of moving along. I mean, wasn't moving as long as great as it could be, but when everybody's living life this way, then you get to see sort of this, uh, it's almost like a freeze frame of sorts. Uh, so, I tried to solve the problem doing the things that are, are sort of pervasive everywhere where people are talking about digital detox, you know, deleting mm-hmm. apps, putting, putting the stuff away, uh, meditating, uh, practicing mindfulness, uh, embracing yoga. I didn't embrace yoga, but that's on my list of things to try. I'm a yoga but, teacher, Brian. Yes, you've got, you've got to embrace yoga. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, everything, uh, calm apps, you know, uh, productivity apps, but they all, they all treat the symptoms. What happened is when, when you've changed your core and when you've changed your operating system without realizing it, you're making sort of these decisions on this evolving center of reference. So you're continually moving in these, these directions without actually realizing that you're doing so. And that challenges everything, uh, your values, your purpose, your mission, yeah. without, even, without even realizing it. And then I realized one of the things isn't just about taming technology or, or saying, oh, I'm going to go back to the way things were, because that, that's a common, it's a common misperception of it. Technology isn't bad. How we use it today is bad, just like alcohol is, or, or whatever it is. If you abuse it, you're going to have issues. But what I wanted to do was understand then, now that I know what I know, how can I use technology to not go back to where I was, but to go into a much better place mm-hmm. and to keep growing in, in a much better place? You know, why, why we're the first generation, regardless of age, to live in a world where we have access to to anything we want. Yeah. We have access to information, to people, to connections. The world is a much smaller place and it's a gift. Uh, it's just a choice of how we decide to do it. And when we open our mind to see it for its, its potential and its promise, then the whole world could change. Mm-hmm. For example, I started to realize like, wow, knowing what I know now, why am I living life based on the standards of success and happiness that my parents passed down to me and their parents passed down to them. It seems like it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem intuitive today. Uh, Especially, especially with all of the potential that we have now with technology. So I set out to fix my life by living through essentially what would happen if you created a guide for a modern life and to put yourself on a path that would allow you to see things differently, to do things differently, and then continually improve as you go through the life scale journey. And it was hard because there isn't isn't a toolkit that's all together for this. Uh, But I can tell you that I take that book with me everywhere I go and I'm constantly reading and rereading because once you put yourself on a path for growth, 
you start to see things you couldn't see before. So then you start to see then that your path can change even from where you started from. And that is the beauty of all of this stuff. You start to put tech in a place that you use it to the benefit of where you're trying to go and how you're trying to live. Yeah, and I love that because I don't think I've ever really positioned it about thinking like we are the first generation. And you're right, regardless of age, we are. This this last, particularly the last decade, has has you know, we are we're like the guinea pigs, aren't we? And and I think it's it's interesting because one of my daughters just last night was watching a film and she's, and it was a black and white film in the 50s, you know, a Joan Crawford piece. And she said, everybody's smoking, everybody's smoking. I can't believe it. Can you imagine? Now you just don't see that. And I said, but that was then, you know, and I suppose we didn't know then, did we? You know, what we know now. And, and we're kind of going to look back on this decade of social media and say, oh my goodness, you know, look at what they were doing. Um, and how addicted they were. Let's let's hope that's that's what we what we look back to, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I, I, rem- I remember uh, uh, watching old black and white movies uh, and thinking as a child, I can't believe that they didn't have color back then. But yeah. uh, <laughs> one of the things that I find too in the in this debate is that there's a natural propensity to to sort of not see what you and I are talking about, right? So we mm-hmm. don't acknowledge the problem because to acknowledge the problem means that we have a problem. And, and, and that's the hardest first step in any, any form of recovery. Yeah. And, you know, when you and I talk about the first generation to, to live this incredible distraction, you know, a lot of people will argue, well, you know, there was TV, there was radio, there was, you know, the original cell phones. This is all true. They've all yep. affected and impacted our world, but not like this. No. And not, not when, when something that we use, you know, like we spend on average anywhere between four to five hours a day on, on our phones. And when you're exposing yourself to that great extent of intentional manipulation to your your brain and your body, yeah. of course it's going to have an effect. And so now it's a matter of what do you want to do about it. There's a lot, you know. Thank goodness, you know, with the work of Tristan Harris, and he's sort of exposing the magician's secrets revealed in, in a lot yeah. of these design techniques. Uh, we have Instagram flirting now with with removing likes and view counts yeah. from the public standpoint. You know, we're, we're starting to move in the right direction, but again, these are just symptoms that we're we're dealing with. We've changed our core, and we've got to figure out what we want our core to be, so we know where to move forward. I had no intention of writing this book. I had, I just wanted, I, I, I thought I could just stay on my digital Darwinism path of research, but now this is my cause. My cause is helping those who know what life was like before all of this stuff manage it to be great with it. Mm. And then also our children who know life only as this and that in their world, this anxiety, this is this depression, this struggle to keep up with everything and everyone that that is not normal either. And so the disconnect between parents and children is that they don't see the world the same way. Yet we expect children to sort of follow in our own footsteps when in fact this world now needs us to change in order to lead them differently uh, and greatly. And so that's now what my purpose is, is working on both of those different uh, 
those different generations and bringing everybody together into a new path where we can move forward to manage this modern lifestyle. Yeah, and I think it's that that consciousness, isn't it, that kind of kicks in that when you're when you're in this space because the digital technology it's not going to go away, but it's about how do we manage it, how do we hone it, how do we give ourselves permission to? It's almost like taking back control, um, you know, because it's it's almost got out of control, and and being out of control is normal, um, and and. I agree with you wholeheartedly about disconnection, that that there's a lot of disconnection. We've almost become disconnected from ourselves. And um, as connected as we are, the irony is we're, we're less connected with who we are, you know, who we really are and, 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 and with other humans because the connection is, it's almost become a bit mm, thin, you know, thin or shallow. It's it's not that there's no depth. I, you just you just nailed it. I think that was <clears throat> was one of the first things that I was surprised when I started to look at my my own life was the shallowness of a lot of the relationships, the shallowness of a lot of my thinking. Uh, even though even though we'd have still you know great conversations, they weren't. They weren't as deep or, or as creative as they could be. I mean, in hindsight, you see a lot of a lot of things, but it was okay because on all sides, right? The 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 the, the idea of a relationship is that uh, you know you sort of get you you get out of it what you put into it, yeah. and when everybody's sort of putting in the same sort of shallow engagement, it's sort of this new normal. I think where I where I where where the problem is is so threatening but also so personal mm. is that our core has changed. We are making decisions in our life based on the standards that we see through that small screen every single day. And yet most of the things that we see aren't real. Yeah. And all of the things that we place value on aren't real. Children today that are worried about followers and likes we talk about shallowness, they're making decisions then based on what they do and who they connect with in ways that are going to propel those numbers to make them feel better about who they are. Mm-hmm. That can't in any way, shape, or form grow into a positive foundation. Right? This is why you have, and I'm sure we'll start seeing numbers in terms of depression and suicide. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, but you know, this... Again, it's not about putting the phone away. It's about recognizing that the value that we we place in how we live a digital lifestyle is off. Which is why I spend a significant... I mean, the, the book is only really the first maybe chapter or so kind of giving you the, did you know this is happening to you stuff. But the rest of it's really just human. It's 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 getting us to open our eyes again and our hearts again to to question ourselves yeah. because we have to make decisions differently about who we are and who we want to be and how we get there. But we have to first kind of take a step back and say, "This is who I am now. It's not who I thought I was. So how do I get on that path? And who do I want to be?" And it's a healthy exercise, and it's a it's an exercise that I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to go through several times. 
And that takes quite a bit of courage sometimes, doesn't it, to to, you know, I talk about this, I mean, in my other life, you know, I am a yoga teacher. So I, I, you know, I talk about people really getting to know the truth of who they are. And and that means sitting with yourself. That means really questioning yourself. And a lot of people aren't up for that. You know, a lot of people are quite happy to be removed from that on the surface, you know, so it, it does take, it does take a bit of courage to step into that space or it takes a disaster. (laughs) <laughs> in my case, it was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, but I, in fact, it's just true for life in general, right? And yeah. I, I, I remember in in uh, in my work around you know corporate innovation, which is a random side. I, I had once said that companies change in one of two scenarios: the aha moment, mm-hmm. uh, where they had that great idea, or the most often the uh oh moment something bad has happened. And once you start reacting because something bad has happened, you're in a whole different place. I I uh, I decided to spin my uh oh moment uh, into a positive sense, but I was my my purpose was different at the time. I was trying to finish the other book. So yes, I was trying to fix the irony. Fix exactly. Try to fix life to get that book out. Only to realize that the more I uncovered and the more the more I learned, the more I realized like, well, I can't be the only one mm-hmm. with this problem, and maybe maybe just maybe. I could have an impact uh, on on the world, and I'll tell you one of the things that you know. Just to be honest, one of the things that I was surprised by when the book came out was how difficult it is to get people to read it. Mm. You know, how do you sell a book to people who don't believe, or even know, or recognize, or even think about that they're distracted? Uh, you know, it's almost heresy for me to talk about stuff like that. And then you have other movements of people who are saying, "Let's let's uh, let's rid ourselves of these things and turn it into sort of like this hip, cool movement of digital detoxing." And that, you know, they, they don't they don't need the book for that because they have their own they have their own sort of idea of, of what the problem is and, and what the solution is. And so I was surprised at how, how difficult it is to get people to, to be open to the idea that their life could be so much better than it is today, even with technology in it. And so it's been a, an incredible amount of work. And so I've had to, I've had to verticalize the story of its impact. Mm. Uh, and th- and this is where things are getting really interesting for me uh, in that I'm working on certification programs now uh, because the the work is bigger than just the time I can give to it. And and also it's, it's a gift that I wanted to give to people. It's not a, you know, not the Brian Solis brand, the life scale brand is, is, is written for people at, and it's theirs. And so the certification program is hopefully going after teachers and parents and churches and coaches so that in their own communities, they can teach the life scale program of starting to understand at a much more human level, hey, let's talk about what's going on in your life so that we can put, put all of us on a path to prosperity, however you want to define that. Yeah. So what and, an interesting journey for you. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all new, uh, but it, the the verticalization of it is is exactly that. You know, parents. You know, like for example, there's an article in the New York Times the other day about parents hiring coaches to help their children. 
play. Uh, oh. in, <laughs> and and uh, uh, someone asked me, you know, what do you think the qualification is for a coach in that regard? And I said, well, probably, probably uh, none, because they don't know actually what's happening in the children inside of the ch- of the, the, the child, and parents aren't necessarily the best role models either. Uh, anytime I take my daughters to the playground, it's 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 crazy how many rambunctious kids are running up up the slides as my daughters are trying to go down the slides uh, while their parents are right there on their phones, not seeing anything or everything that's going on around them. And and this that the life scale story is going to be very different for that scenario than it is going to be for a coach or somebody who's struggling with productivity at work. And that, that is where this verticalization, at least that's my hope is trying to teach people directly where they're feeling or, or causing the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right. It breaks my heart when you see these things, but it's, it's a reality, isn't it? It's just become normal. It's, it's, uh, it's 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 quite sad. So I um I can't wait to read the book, Brian. I'm I'm I can't wait, and uh, and it really chimes. It really sits with uh, my message of, you know, to be connected, to be really connected. You have to be connected to yourself, you know, and you you have to get connected to that that human, back to who we are, you know, um and and the core of us. So it really resonates with me and it's wonderful that somebody like you is putting a body of work out like this because the i you know the the there is that almost heresy here you are for years and years and years leading this digital disruption and you know the future of what's coming with digital and so it's hardly surprising that this is a challenging piece of work for you and that engagement with it is challenging but but this is your gift, isn't it? This is this is this is clearly what you've been driving towards. Yeah, the irony is, um, you know, not just not just in being part of the rise of all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you've 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 been there for a long time, yeah. along alongside of me, and and you've seen the common theme of all of my work has been the humanization of it mm. and really focusing on, on, on people. And that's one of the reasons why I, I studied and practiced digital anthropology, which is really trying to take the human, the human side of this story so that we could steer tech in a very positive direction. What I didn't see though, which, <laughs> which was by design was, was exactly <laughs> what happened. The other irony is now I have to use all of these channels and jump into the fire more than I was before in order to help spread the word and the book's message. Uh, And that has been an incredible test of life scale uh, of the practice itself, which is staying staying strong as you're you're diving into the fire. Uh, And I've had to do something that I've never done, which is hire a team of support uh, to kind of share share the responsibilities of doing of doing this work, so that it's not all on me. Uh, previously, everything has always been on me, which is probably part of the problem. And then the second is the uh, the certification, the coaching programs. That that's something I've never never in my life would have seen myself uh, investing in, and I and I can't wait for that. Yeah, and it makes total sense when you think about it, because like you say, this is a big message. This is a big movement. This is a, you know, this is a sea change, isn't it? About how how people can take control. And I can see, you know, you're, you're going to have ambassadors. I mean, I, I can't wait to see it, and I, I've already signed up for more information about the program. So, um, 
So, you know, so I, I think there will be people who get it that just think we need to we need to shift and uh, and here's some resources, you know, so it, it makes total sense. So, Brian, thank you so much for sharing all of that wonderful insight with us. Um, I like to end with just three very quick fire questions to learn a little bit about my guests. Are you OK with that? Sure, absolutely. Just to round up. So some of the questions are pretty big, um, but it's just top of head kind of answers as, as you would get to. So here I go. Are you ready? Ready. If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? This, what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suspected you might say that. It's good. Good, easy answer, but, but very valid. And what about books? Which book have you read recently that's inspired you? Oh my gosh. Um, so many, because I had to do so much, mm, lot of research. so much research on this. I will tell you that there's a, a commencement speech. It's not a book, but it just really, really stood out. It's a commencement speech by the actor Matthew McConaughey that was game-changing, and I, I put it in the book. I, it was just so good. It was just so good. And it really harmonized with the whole idea of living life to the, the standards of success and happiness that aren't our own. Uh, and that's, that was really um, smiling now just thinking about it. Oh, good. Well, I will make sure that that link is in the show notes. And what about advice? What's the best piece of advice you've been given to date? <sighs> I know the, some big questions here. There's uh, there's a, there's a gentleman in my life. His name is uh, Dan Post. And back in 19, 1997, I started working with startups and, and doing a lot of, uh, well, what turned out to be groundbreaking work around um, digital and how to launch companies differently in a digital world. And uh, he said something like the, you know, the, the struggles that you're having here within this organization of trying to get people to change how they work in order to support your work is probably going to take away from the potential of the work you're trying to do. You should maybe think about starting your own company around it uh, so that you could explore and experiment freely. And I did just that in 1999. And that, that's, that was the beginning of all of the digital stuff that you've seen um, in my work. And that was the best advice I ever got. And it's interesting that that statement that he gave you is kind of where you are now with this challenge with life scale isn't it to a <laughs> to a degree when you just said those words I thought oh hang on a minute <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so good advice always keeps coming round and round again so that's that's wonderful so thank you so so much I've thoroughly enjoyed um our discussion Brian and uh, long way we continue to chat digitally Tell me how other people can find out about the work, LifeScale. Is there a site they can go to? The book has a site. It's lifescaling.me, and it's where coaches and also readers can go for more information. Uh, if you're interested in following my work as well, beyond that, it's uh, briansolis.com, and I think I'm at briansolis on pretty much every yeah. network. Okay, brilliant. I'll make sure that link is in the show notes as well. And that's it. So thank you again. Huge thanks. And, um, and uh, I can't wait to, to share this with everybody. Oh, thank you so much. 
You've been listening to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast. Thank you to my guest and indeed thank you to you for tuning in. Please do feel free to share the podcast with colleagues and friends who you think will enjoy it and indeed subscribe to tune in for more episodes. You'll find the podcast on all the usual platforms and all episodes are also on our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll also find some really useful digital and social resources on that site too. So be sure to check those out. So for now, from me, Michelle Carville, your host on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in and goodbye. Oh, P.S. If you're a business leader with something to share around digital and social technologies and you're keen to be a guest on the podcast, then I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, michelle at carvelcreative.co.uk.